1: Hello and welcome to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Coming up, we will have half an hour of business news and analysis. In today's program, we'll talk about the World Robot Conference in Beijing. How can robots change our lives? And Huawei is to launch its high-end Mate 50 smartphone series. So now let's begin with our top story. China is the world's largest market for robots, and the output of industrial robots reached 360,000 units last year, a 68% increase compared with the previous year. And the production of service robots in the country also saw a 49% jump last year. The recent World Robot Conference in Beijing has showcased how robots are applied in various fields. Our Dou Yu takes a closer look.
2: This year's conference offered insights into the real life applications for advanced robots in multiple fields such as disaster relief and medical services. Li Xiaoyang of Tsinghua University is taking part in the development of wheelchairs controlled by the human brain.
0: The brain-computer interface collects signals from the cerebral cortex. The signals are first called by the glasses that the patient wears. The wheelchair uses radar to avoid obstacles.
2: Apart from medical robots, industrial robots have also caught lots of attention. With 5G technology and artificial intelligence, a technician in Beijing can control an excavator and an iron in a remote area. Robots are not only penetrating various industries, but also becoming more affordable as products for personal use. Exhibitor Wang Shixing says some robots are sold at 10,000 yuan, roughly the price of a laptop.
1: Robots
2: are becoming consumer products. You can let it fetch your packages and pick up delivered food or carry some water for you when you go for a jog. Li Reifeng is the associate director of the Institute of Robotics and the Harbin Institute of Technology. He points out that robots will be used to take care of old
3: people.
1: The biggest household demand for robots lies in caring for the elderly in the aging society. Robots are supposed to perform more functions, like moving freely in the house, communicating with old people, and fetching objects for them. All these require further development of robotics.
2: He also says the robot industry in China is rising to catch up with leading countries.
1: There is still a gap between industrial robots in China and in some other countries with advanced technology. But we are moving forward very quickly, and industrial robots are widely used in our country. China's service robots are on the same page with other leading countries because this is an emerging technology.
2: A report shows that China will contribute one-third of the value of global robotics market this year. The country is stepping up efforts to cultivate talents in this field to facilitate the robotics industry.
1: And that was Hong Hongyi reporting. For more on this, joined us on the line now are Dr. Wang Dan, chief economist of Hanson Bank China, and also Anna Tengen, senior fellow at the Taihe Institute. So, Dan, first of all, how do you view the development of the robotics industry here in China? Why is it booming?
3: Uh, China's robotic industry is certainly one of the fastest-growing sectors in the economy. And at this point, China's demand for industrial robots account for about 40% of the global demand. So it is the largest producer as well as the consumer. Um, but as far as we can see, at this point, China's main advantage is still in its market application rather than R&D. So there is uh, tons of uh, state support and local government spending on helping in that front.
1: Mm. So Anna, what do you think about it? How do you view the development of this industry? And what about the financial and investment side of the story? How risky is this business?
0: Well, there's always a bit of a bubble when you start getting into new technology. But I mean, in terms of th- this is part of the uh, industry 4.0, you know, industry one was steam that allowed you to do heavy, big things. Then came electricity, um, industry 2.0 that led, allowed you to create um, automated uh, processes, uh, assembly lines. Three was about integrating computers and IT. Now we are on to four, which is integrating in real time production based um and, and production, and also supply-based um, manufacturing based on uh, big data, AI, and sensors. So robots are an integral part of that. They, what they, All the drive is towards efficiency. The more mm-hmm. efficient your factory is, the lower your price can be, the lower your price can be, the more competitive you are. And that's exactly what uh, China has been uh, trying to do. They had a, a 2025 plan uh, that they released in 2015, and it talked about these very issues. And now today, we see uh, an update on that plan, and a uh, you know a kind of quickening as it may <clears throat> as it is to get there even quick uh, even faster than they had before. To give you an example, uh, last year there was 168,000 uh, robots installed in China. The number two was Japan. They put in 38,000. So that gives you an idea of just how hard China is pressing on this to maintain its uh, position as a, as a efficient factory floor.
1: Mm-hmm. And I know so talent is quite important in this sector, but how can China quickly train the talents and improve the knowledge base of the industry's workforce?
0: That's uh, Part of it is you try to attract people from outside with new ideas. Um China's embarking on that. They're trying to make it easier uh, to bring talents into China, give them easier access to green cards, uh, allow them to uh, have the same kind of benefits that somebody from uh, domestically from China would have. In terms of training, that takes more time because you have to set up these um, universities or training centers and you have to get qualified, up-to-date trainers. There's no point teaching the you know, 2.0 industry 2.0 when you want uh, the output to be industry 4.0. So a lot of this is evolving. Uh, the trick is you have to you know, look at your resources and decide how much you're putting into training versus how much you're trying to put into the actual production.
1: Mm. And talking about the industry policies, Aina. So, how concerned should we be about the monopolies that could lead to the unhealthy development? Or, apart from letting the tech giants go, what's the significance of the uh, small stops?
0: Well, I mean, there's been a lot of talk about the digital divide. This this mm. issue that you know everything we're talking about is IP, and that's in the heads of individuals who are highly trained, and the rest. You know, they just really don't have that that ability to participate directly so that you could see a a large amount of wealth going to those who have this IP, uh, and that includes countries and individuals, uh, versus the rest of the world. Uh, How to solve that is still in in the process. The industry is very aware of it. We've already seen what has happened uh, in certain industries, uh, both in uh, China, Europe, and the United States. Where you've had these mega players emerge and dominate the markets and there's you know there's real concerns uh, both in all the markets that these companies instead of competing for your business are in essence taxing you to use their services
1: mm, so dan so what do you think about it uh, are you concerned about the monopolies or what do you think is the uh, significance of the small startups role in this sector
3: Uh, Startups will lead innovation in uh, the forefront of the industrial robot development, there's no doubt about it. Um, But most of the startups can only focus on one segment of a technology. A real breakthrough usually will depend on a lot of the initial investment, which can either be coming from the state sector, or the leading uh, tech giants in the field, and in China's case, usually it is still the largest technology companies like Baidu, Tencent, Alibaba, attracting the best and brightest in the in the market, especially for graduate students. So. Uh, we actually have to rely more on the leading players in the field uh, if we want to have a technological breakthrough.
1: Mm -hmm. And another problem, uh, Aina, is that uh, it has been suggested that uh, in the next uh, decade, more than 50% of jobs in the world will be replaced by robotics with AI. So what jobs are particularly vulnerable to this?
0: One of the really big ones is transportation Uh, because if you have driverless trucks cars taxis um, that takes out a huge swath of people who are not necessarily trained or able to go into other fields so this is where education is going to be very important education itself Uh, Could be changed by this you could have online learning, but with assistive uh, robots or individuals I mean, it's not going to just be purely one solution. There's just there's a way in which you can merge together um, individuals uh, robots uh, AI to create the perfect mix uh, for uh, various things for architecture healthcare logistics electronics and automotive uh, manufacturing; these are all areas where you're going to see uh, robots continuing to uh, replace human beings, or in some cases, assistive uh, robotics. This means that you have robots that actually are helping humans in certain situations where they cannot take over the actual process itself. But you know, what one interesting thing to keep in mind is we were talking about uh, manufacturing, but actually. While that is growing, that the overall market is growing at 22% over the last five years, um, service robots is growing at Mm 32.8%, and then uh, especially robots are going at 25.8. So those are outpacing them. But even in restaurant industry, you know, remember we were talking about the uh, the Olympics, the Winter Olympics, the food was actually made by robots. And robots would actually deliver it to the doors of the uh, of the athletes. So there's so many aspects of that, and the question is, how do you deal with it? Is
1: mm. And then, so do you think I will be, you know, sometimes be, be uh, replaced by robots, robot, a anchorman, <laughs> or a host? <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, This
3: is a highly uh, artistic and creative position. I don't think any of the AI or robots can replace someone like you. In fact, I think the overall concern about replacing human with robotics uh, are entirely justified. Uh, There are a lot of evidence from academia suggesting that robotics can be disruptive, but ultimately beneficial for the labor markets. And there are tons of data already from Japan and South Korea, and they look at different manufacturing industries and also services industries. And what the researchers have found is that uh, those countries have the highest robot penetration, but Mm. also very strong workforce. And they use more robotics over the years, but they also create new jobs. There is a shift, of course, between manufacturing and services, and there will be those transactional and temporary employments, and sometimes rather large. But within the period of 15 years, most of those jobs are filled, and you don't see the kind of unemployment directly resulted from um, the using of robotics.
1: Mm. But then in general, is AI a nightmare for China's labor market, or how could it actually solve the country's aging society problem and the labor shortage problems? Uh,
3: I don't think AI or robotics are nightmare uh, for China. In fact, it is more beneficial because when you look at a whole supply chain, the supply chain using pure labor can be really brutal. Um, the work, for example, for the fabric uh, manufacturing industry is very repetitive. It is hard to automate softer materials like textiles. So you see workers day and night e- in very long shifts doing those hard work, sometimes dangerous. So when we look at a lot of those workers, they are usually um, relatively old because the young people in China tend not to want to get into industry like this. It is hard labor and do not. Not earn their uh, more, uh, earn them higher wage. So to resolve the aging problem, um, the country need to resort to other resources, uh, maybe the retraining of workers. Uh, maybe uh, to create more higher value-added jobs in the services industry. Uh, afraid of using AI and robotics is certainly not the way to go.
1: Mm. So, Aina, so do you agree with uh, Dan on you know how it will solve the uh, China's aging society issue?
0: Yes, I do. I mean, we we've talked a lot about uh, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing uh, that China is a- aging, and I always point to the fact that the U.S. five uh, percent of less than five percent of the world's population consumes over twenty percent of the global GDP. So uh, it, it's not a question of having um, more people to drive growth. It really is the quality of what you have, disposable income, et cetera, that are important. But I am gonna uh, differ with that on one thing. In fact, in the entertainment industry, they now have virtual uh models and they have virtual hosts. Uh interestingly for you, Sonny, is they had to they had to get rid of one of the virtual hosts because it was absorbing data. And unfortunately it became uh you know started saying a lot of bad words, introducing a lot of bad subjects and things <laughs> like that. E.g. it had absolutely no EQ and no temperament or ability to discern good from uh, bad in terms of uh, things. So for now, I, I think you're safe, but it, if it was just purely a model uh, getting up and walking the runway, uh, I think um, it might be time to consider a different uh, alternative view if you're five-year-old beautiful little girl or, mm. or a handsome man.
1: Mm. So then so how would you evaluate the significance of the AI revolution we are seeing today? How is it different? From from the previous technological revolutions?
3: Uh, the AI revolution to me, it uh, is a um, new era, it's the start of a new era. Mm. Um, because when we look at the long-term growth of any society now, uh, labor and the capital are used to their extreme already. And AI is this new way of reorganizing the resources that we have, uh, which are getting more limited, and trying to increase the productivity. And a lot of the countries are engaging in this competition, uh, and especially uh, there is a direct conflict between uh, China's initiative to have more indigenous innovation versus the U.S. intention to curb China's um, ability to develop its technological ability. So uh, AI is something that China actually has the capacity to compete at the very forefront in the global stage. Uh, so, I have high hopes in this, uh, in this area of the technology, um, but it's going to be a very hard battle for Chinese companies, as well as Chinese government.
1: Mm-hmm. So, I know a lot of benefits that we talk about AI can bring to us, but uh, like what Elon Musk mentioned, a popular theory is that uh, the human beings may be threatened, enslaved, or even wiped out by AI. So what's your take? Should we be prepared for that day, or do we need to find a way to coexist from now on?
0: Well, since we are the creators, I think we'll have a little bit of say in whether or not the robots rule us. Uh, there, there are real concerns. There was an um, interesting uh, uh, situation that happened with them. So, I mean, there are so many opportunities, and we have to remember that we are the creators. What we put in is going to be reflected back and not only what we put in in terms of the uh the design of the ai you know all of the comic coding and things like that but also the information that is going into it uh this big data everyone says oh big more data the better but the question is what is the quality of this data if it's true quality uh there shouldn't be a big problem but if the you know the underlying source code tells it to interpret this data in certain ways, yes, then you can have a very destructive uh, or malignant um, uh, force within the society that is running your machine, things like that. But as I said, all comes back to human beings.
1: Mm-hmm. So now, do you
3: agree with Aina? Well, uh, very much, um, because ultimately it is the individual that is making the decision. And I want to add one thing uh, specifically about China is uh, that in the past 10 years, China had leaped forward in its uh, research and development as well as investment into the AI field. Uh, and we saw the kind of bubble creating being created really fast. Uh, but in the last three years, and also because of a constraint in the availability of capital, this market has become more tamed and in a way more rational when it comes to which area that can attract most of the funding. So I actually uh, would uh, defer with uh, with the common perceptions in the market right now that uh, China's AI uh, start to decelerate. I actually think there's auto-correction in this field uh, that will lay the foundation for China's digital economy in the coming decade.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, we're speaking with Wang Dan, Chief Economist of Hansen Bank China, and also Aina Tengen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute. And after a short break, we'll take a look at innovation in China. Stay with us.
0: Hello, this is Michael Zhang. Greetings from Los Angeles of the Golden State of California. Thank you today for making me part of your team. I truly enjoy the debates we had, and look forward to many more in the years to come.
1: You are listening to Biz Today, I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Chinese authorities have released an action plan to stimulate the technology innovation capacity of enterprises. The plan specifies supportive measures in 10 areas, including a platform for enterprises to participate in the country's science and tech innovation decision-making on a regular basis. It's also to implement tax incentives to support enterprises in frontier basic research. So, Dan, first of all, what do you make of the focal areas of these supportive measures? Uh,
3: Those supportive measures are trying to increase productivity um, by the deployment of more uh, machines, um, robotics, as well as smart solutions. And what impressed me the most actually is in the field of agriculture, uh, which I follow quite closely. And in other parts of Chinese economy, uh, things like uh, transportation or factories or education, we have already seen a lot of application of those smart solutions. But in agriculture, uh, the movement had, me, had been quite slow because it requires a lot of the initial capital investment and that have deterred uh, the private investors. But if this plan works, I can see at least in um, the very much needed field like uh, irrigation or uh, the use of a smart tractors that can help greatly with China's agricultural yield.
1: Mm. And I know when we discuss the science and technology innovation, there are different players, of course, in it. The universities, the research institutes, the enterprises, et cetera, et cetera. So what do you think is the role of enterprises?
0: Well, enterprises are about application. So, I mean, you you have the uh, the professors and the researchers who are coming up with new ideas. Uh, they have to be funded somehow. Those are the educational institutions and also the government. And then you you have people who say, "Look, I have an idea. I want to uh, develop it." Uh, at some point, it comes comes to an enterprise. Uh, stage, at which point it is developed and then pushed out onto the market. There's all sorts of competition. All, you know, The process is, of course, not that simple. You have to get uh, funding just because your idea is good. Uh, it's not enough. You have to be able to sell that idea, uh, and that means knowing a little bit about how to pitch people, uh, the, the financial end. So you have to get a, generally a group together and get there.
1: Mm. And also, then talking about the tech and innovation, we have to mention a company, a Chinese company, Huawei. Uh, this company has recently said it will launch the uh, Mate 50 smartphone series in two weeks. And meanwhile, Huawei founder Ren Zhengfei said the company needs to change its business strategy to ensure the survival in the next three years. So what signal does he send?
3: Well, uh, when we hear uh, heard this speech yesterday, it sounded like uh, Huawei has a clear understanding on where the industry is and where uh, the economy is. And in the coming three years, the world economy will face great difficulties, uh, given that major central banks are raising interest rates, which will make it very difficult for tech company to borrow, because they are extremely sensitive to interest rate. Uh, And with the exception of China, uh, major Western economies have already increased their rates. And we have seen a decline of capital raised in the US and in the European market. And for Huawei itself, uh, it is facing headwinds, coming both from weak domestic demand and a tightened grip in the global market. Um, Because in this big background of China-US competition, uh, there is already the de facto decoupling in the high-tech field. And Huawei's latest phone has to rely on its own technology instead of relying on the imported chips uh, coming from other countries, because those chips are are either American chips or made with American equipment. So they're cut off from that channel and for all chinese tech companies including huawei they are well aware of what's coming in the coming years and i think they are they are trying to get better prepared by containing on the cost while investing enough in the R&D process. Um, but it is difficult. It is going to be very, very difficult. Mm.
1: So I know we know that the US put Huawei on a chip export blacklist back in 2019. So how hard have the US sanctions hurt the company? And on the other hand, how resilient is this company?
0: In terms of how hard it hits the co- has hit the company, it's not just the U.S. actions and its domestic market, but it was the actions of the U.S. against uh, other countries, telling them that they had to uh, get rid of, uh, of Huawei. So this is purely political, but it, it was like a virus. It spread around the world. Uh, the U.S. tried to do it. In terms of Huawei's resiliency, I, I think uh, while I agree with uh, Mr. Ren's, uh assessment of the economy, I do think that. Huawei has a very, very bright future. And this is why large, uh, these smaller and smaller chips aren't necessary. They're only necessary if you're going to do all your computation on the phone itself. But the fact is we are quickly moving to the cloud. So you can have a larger, cheaper chip, all right, which is going to be a lot more, uh, you know, affordable and attractive to people as we go into a downturn. And remember, Huawei has been concentrating on software. So the combination of the ability to have phones that connect to the, uh, basically put a supercomputer in your hand because they connect to uh, the cloud, and the ability to uh, have a software that runs that. I think we'll put them in a very good uh, space uh, as opposed to those companies that are relying on faster and smaller chips.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, we've been speaking with Ina Tengen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute, and also Wang Dan, Chief Economist of Hansen Bank China. And that's all the time we have for this edition of Biz Today. I'm Yang in Beijing. Thank you so much for listening.